Welcome to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast with Dr. Nuno Carrero, where we explore career opportunities and discuss contemporary topics within the field of veterinary and animal science. Hello and welcome to the show. My guests today are future veterinarians Stephanie George and Caitlin Cottonwar. They are both veterinary students at the University of Missouri. Stephanie is in her third year of vet school and Caitlin is now in her second year. They join me today to give you the student point of view. In other words, their perspective into what it takes to qualify and apply to veterinary school. We'll also spend some time discussing their veterinary school experience, along with some vet school survival tips. Stephanie and Caitlin, thank you so much for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, so let's begin. How did you become interested in the veterinary profession, Stephanie? Uh, Well, I wasn't always interested in veterinary medicine. Um, I mean, of course, as a kid, I was one of the professions that was on the table, but, you know, I... I didn't really want to become a veterinarian until undergrad. Um, You know, growing up, my ideas changed a lot. Um, But in undergrad, I really realized that being a vet is less about helping all the puppies and kittens and more about becoming an important member of society um, and public health. So really, I think in my sophomore year of undergrad was when I truly became interested in becoming a veterinarian. Great. And, And Caitlin? Uh, actually, similar to stuff, I never really thought about like being a veterinarian until high school when I was graduating high school and I had to decide like, okay, I'm going to college. What am I supposed to do? I shadowed at a vet clinic in high school. And then I always kind of in the back of my mind was like, it'd be really cool to be a veterinarian, but I didn't think that I was good enough for it. So I decided to do the technician track first. And then after my probably first semester of undergrad, I got a job at a veterinary clinic as an assistant, and I fell in love with it and got a lot of support and encouragement that I could go to vet school. And so that's kind of when I changed from the tech track to vet school. I did still get my technician certification. Wow, that's amazing. It's it's definitely goes to show you, because in our last episode, we talked about there's so many different pathways to becoming a veterinarian. And, you know, many veterinarians, they can trace it back to their passion, uh, starting to get to know the veterinary profession a lot earlier. But you both, it was really an undergrad when you really started to feel like this is the path that you wanted to pursue. Now that you are in veterinary school, can you give us some insights about your undergraduate experience and what about it? What the, the time that you spent in your undergraduate experience, what was maybe one thing that you would say best prepared you for vet school now? Okay, so I feel like my situation is kind of unique because I did do the technician track. So a lot of my undergrad courses were in clinical medicine. And I often find myself saying, I'm so happy I went to tech school first because um, like all the tech skills that we are learning in our courses, I don't really have to study that. And they're already very comfortable with me. Um, So that's one thing, like if you are going to Becker and you are thinking about doing the uh, technician track, I highly suggest doing it. Um, 
But another thing that kind of goes along with that, I would just say experience in general, uh, like finding out if this is something you really want to do, um, getting to know like what a veterinarian actually does in the day to day. And one thing I really recommend is keeping a journal of all your experience, because when you do apply to vet school, you're not going to remember what you did like three years ago, but you're going to have to write about it. So that's excellent advice. And I should just um, let our listeners know that both Stephanie and Caitlin uh, attended Becker College as an undergraduate students. And I had them both in class. So it's nice. So nice to see them uh, once again. Uh, Stephanie, how about you? What about your undergraduate career? Yeah, I totally actually agree with Caitlin 100%. I actually also started in the vet tech program at Becker, um, but in my sophomore year, I switched my major to pre-vet. However, I did take probably like half the classes as the vet tech students. So I took the clinical experience classes and some of the more hands-on stuff. Um, And I definitely think that those helped me prepare for veterinary school. And like Caitlin said, um, you know, we have a class called clinical skills in our first year of veterinary school that um, I really didn't have to try at all because I had already had those hands-on experiences. You know, I have, I had been placing catheters for a couple of years before I went into veterinary school. I had been, you know, familiar with um, wrapping packs and surgery and stuff like that. So I think that, Choosing classes in undergrad, even if it's not part of your major, choosing classes that are going to set you up for um, some more veterinary related topics and some more practical topics. Um, And I always say I switched my major in the middle of a pharmacology class and I dropped that pharmacology class. I really, really wish that I stayed in that pharmacology class um, in undergrad because I struggled in pharmacology in vet school. And um, I just, I definitely took several classes that helped me, but I also kind of regret not taking some other classes for sure. Yeah, to kind of highlight what you're saying, like oftentimes I find myself saying like, I'm glad I had this in undergrad. I mean, vet school is so in depth that what you learn in undergrad is like just the little minute amount, Mm -hmm. but just having the background knowledge like sets you up for success in that class because you already kind of know what you're getting into. For sure. Thank you. That's, that's some great insight. And so what you're both basically saying is make sure you know what the profession is about, right? Spend that time knowing what the profession is about, what a veterinarian does, and that you really want to do that and you can do that and you see yourself doing that. The other thing is, even though your major doesn't necessarily matter as far as qualifying to apply to vet school, that you take courses besides the prereqs, right, that the vet schools want. Um, And then when you choose those other courses that are besides those required prereqs to really choose courses that are really going to help you in vet school, right? And for you, and for you both, it was those clinical courses at Becker College that really, that really have helped you throughout your veterinary school career. Definitely. Would you like to elaborate and just offer a couple more classes that may have helped you on your academics in vet um, school? I, one that really comes to mind is immunology. The immunology course in undergrad was really helpful. Uh, in like I had to study a lot for immunology in vet school, but there was a lot of concepts that were just already super fam- familiar with me. Um, I'm trying to think of other ones. 
Well, I would also say too, not only classes that you think are going to help you, because at this point, when, when you're picking like your electives, um, again, like Dr. Carrero said, you're not picking necessarily for the prereqs to apply to vet school, but you're picking things that you think are going to help you. Also, try to pick things that are interesting to you. So like I took um, equine classes because I had an equine minor in undergrad um, and I took equine nutrition, which was super interesting to me. And I thought that it helped me out um, with just large animal stuff in general. Um, and I think that if people are unfamiliar with or uncomfortable with certain subjects, it's very um, good to try those subjects out, it's very beneficial to try those subjects out in undergrad um, and familiarize yourself more with them. So if you don't have a lot of large animal experience, try to take a large animal anatomy course, try to take a large animal um, behavior course if they offer it, a large animal nutrition course, um, things that are going to more familiarize you with the subjects that you're not as strong in so that when you get to vet school, you know, it's a little more familiar and it's a little more comfortable for you. I love that point. Great advice, um, Steph. And I saw Caitlin nodding the whole time. Um, so that's great. So let's move on and talk a little bit about the vet school application process. I'm assuming both of you used the Veterinary Medical College application system or the VMCAS uh, system mm -hmm. is that correct? Yes. Yes. And so, with the VMCAS system, you're able to apply to multiple vet school programs. Can I ask how many schools did you end up applying to? I applied to four. Four. Okay. And I applied to five. To five, and that seems to be the average for students to apply to about you know five schools. Can you share some insights on how you narrow down your choices? Because you know there's there's yeah. Probably 30 is at least 30 in the United States. How did you narrow it down to those four and five? When I first started thinking about applying, um, I would definitely suggest for people who are thinking about applying to vet school to start early, as you know, everyone says that is when they're giving you advice. So in the spring semester before the applications were due, I started doing my homework on all the vet schools and I went on the AAVM, AAVMC website and printed off the school's important information and documents um, that were relevant to me. So then I made an Excel spreadsheet with all the factors that were important to me, like distance from home, cost of tuition, whether they offered in-state switching, um, if they did tracking, if they offered the MPH program or other programs like PhD programs or other master's programs, that's definitely important to look into. And a couple of other factors uh, that were public knowledge, not necessarily things that you wouldn't know unless you visited the school, like atmosphere and stuff like that. That's definitely something that you gain access to when you interview. Um, but but the general information, uh, I kind of made a spreadsheet with all those factors. And then I narrowed it down to probably like 10 schools that sounded like I would want to apply there. Another thing too that you definitely have to take into account is how much the applications cost and if they fit into your budget. Because if you don't have family help, like I didn't have my family members helping me uh, pay for my applications, I definitely had to take into account how much I was willing to spend on the application process and how much the individual school supplemental applications cost. So once I did that, I figured out how many schools I could apply to on my budget. 
narrowed it down to five schools, and then, of course, submitted the applications for those schools. Right. So, Steph, for you, it sounded like things like tuition and location mm. were were two things that you looked at. Is the University of Missouri, are there one of those schools that um, will allow you to switch from out-of-state tuition to in-state tuition once you claim residency? Is that that right? Yes, that's like one of the biggest factors, uh, the reasons that it looks like both Caitlin and I chose Mizzou for, uh, because after first year, they allow you to uh, petition to change your residency to in-state. And that cuts your tuition, I want to say in half, um, if not more than that. So it's really beneficial. No, that's great information. And I know we touched on this on the last episode with Dr. Fraser, too. Uh, Caitlin, how about you? How did you narrow down your list? So kind of similar to Steph, I had like three like major things that I looked at. So it was like location, price. I forget what my other one was, but location basically brought it down to like 10. Um, And then looking at cost. But then after that, I think it's really important to tailor your schools to like how it best fits you as well, because I know, I don't know if we're going to get into GREs a little bit later, but that is one of my like poor suits. I was not good at the GREs. I ended up taking them three times and it was, it was just not my strong suit. So I looked at schools that didn't either, they either didn't look at the GREs or they didn't like, it wasn't very high on their priority list. So if there's some like a weakness that you feel in your application, try to look at the schools that may not have that as higher of a priority. I feel like that was one good thing. And then one thing I was I kind of found out with tracking, at least personally, um, I kind of tried to avoid tracking because the NAVLE, which is the National Board Exam, actually covers all species. So if you're tracking in a specific species, you're going to be kind of cutting yourself short for the national exam. So that's just something to keep in mind as well. 100%. Thanks, Caitlin. Uh, That brings me uh, to what I want to do is let's break down the VMCAS application and what's required for students to apply and qualify. And you mentioned standardized tests. So did you both take the GRE? Do you mind if I ask? Yeah, I took it three times. (laughs) So, Caitlin, you took it three times. And Stephanie, did you take the GRE? I took it once and I was exactly average that one time. So I did not take it again. <laughs> and do you remember if the schools that you applied to, did they all ex- wanted the GRE exam score? I think two of mine wanted them. Uh, Mizzou, I know, wanted it, but it wasn't like a high priority. And then I also applied to Purdue in Ohio, which didn't look at it. I think four of my schools did want it. One of them didn't. And then Mizzou, of course, like you said, uh, put it lower on the totem pole, so to speak, when they're looking at your entire app. And that's something I want to also encourage potential applicants to do is go to the individual school's websites and look at their kind of admissions formula because it's it's on there. That information is out there. They'll tell you, you know, which parts of the application they prioritize and sometimes give you a percentage of how much of a percentage and weight they give to those different components. Can you can you both speak to how you prepared for the GRE? Stephanie, you can go first. I didn't. I did not study at all. I didn't use any of those apps. I didn't use any of the books. I just went in and took it. Uh, and I, you know, 
I kind of attribute this to my uh, mentality in undergrad, which was like, I never really studied. And I, same thing for like in high school, a lot of vet students are type A and we're very like into our academics and we're very good students. Um, And for a lot of vet students, uh, school always came easy to me. Uh, So I really uh, did not put any effort in. uh, And I'm lucky that I came out uh, at that exact average score for the GRE. Um, I reflecting back on it, I could have tried harder for sure. Uh, But I don't I don't encourage people to do that. Uh, (laughs) I would encourage people to, uh, to maybe download some of those free apps. Uh, I don't think that spending a ton of money on prep work for the GRE is necessary. Um, But again, it it depends on, you know, you as an individual, if you really tanked the SATs and the ACTs and stuff, maybe studying a little harder for the GRE is going to be better for you. Um, You know, you have to know yourself as a test taker, you have to know yourself as a studier um, in order to make that decision individually. Okay. And Caitlin, how did you prepare? I think it's funny because we both have like totally different mindsets going into it. And we both kind of learned something looking back. I think Steph said she might have prepared a little more. And I think maybe I shouldn't have had taken it maybe the third time. Um, But so to prepare for it, kind of the first time I took it was similar to Steph. I didn't really study for it. I was kind of like, well, we'll just see how I do on it. And then after this, for the second exam, I bought the... uh, the ETS, which is the company that puts out the exam, I bought their book and did uh, practice questions and kind of like read how to approach different examples and different questions. So I used that. And then there's another app called Magoosh, M-A-G-O-O-S-H. That was helpful too. Um, And then before the third time, I did like an in-person class thing, which was not I shouldn't not super helpful it was kind of just following along with the book um so I think my suggestion would be to just use the like free sources that Steph was suggesting um but if you like like a hard copy like handbook the ETS book was only like 25 dollars and I thought that was helpful great thanks for those suggestions and I'll I'll put those resources in our show notes so let's move on to another component of the application process, which is asking for letters of recommendation. If you can go back and remember uh, requesting letters of recommendation, it seems like most schools, they require two to three letters of recommendation. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Do you remember, and can you speak to how did you choose the people that you asked for letters of recommendation and any advice for, for future applicants? So I think my biggest piece of advice would be to start building relationships early on in your undergrad experience with both your professors and um, like uh, someone that you work with, like a veterinarian or somewhere you volunteer or something like that. Um, Like meet with them outside of school or outside of work and talk to them about their experience, talk to them about what you're interested in, just build a good foundation so that in a few years when you are asking for letters of recommendation, they already know a little bit about you and it makes approaching them later on easier. Um, and it also just allows them to write a more, like write the, a better application for you. I definitely agree with that. And also too, in undergrad, you're trying to gain as much experience as possible. And a lot of times, you know, 
you might jump from experience to experience, you know, you're trying to get this, these varied experiences, but try and like Caitlin said, build relationships with people long-term. So even if you just have a job as, you know, a kennel attendant or a receptionist um, for like two or three years, yeah, you might not be gaining the best experience, but you're going to that job a couple of times a week and you know those people very well. And, you know, building those relationships and kind of figuring out who you want to uh, write you a letter of rec uh, as the time goes on and as you build those relationships is definitely going to be beneficial uh, for you because it's so much easier for somebody to write you a letter of recommendation if they've known you for a while rather than you were here for a month. Um can can you write a letter of recommendation for me? I've o- I've only seen you, you know, for for a few weeks, and you're supposed to know everything there is to know about me, kind of. Um, so I think definitely getting to know people in depth, like Caitlin said, and over a longer period of time, is beneficial. Another piece of advice: um, a few of my a few of the people that wrote my recommendation letters actually wanted to schedule an interview with me to ask me a few questions. But I think if the interview, if the person writing your letter doesn't ask to do an interview, that's something you can bring up to them because I feel like that will also help improve the letter. Yeah, so that's great advice and I can totally attest to that. I really like it when I have an opportunity to know students (laughs) over time and it's not just, oh, I see you for the first time walking in my door and you ask for a letter of recommendation. Uh, I also appreciate asking early, right? Don't please don't ask me two weeks before to do. <laughs> that, uh, so uh, at, you know, give your the person that you're asking lots of time uh, to consider writing a a good letter of recommendation. So all great advice, and remember that you often have to ask two or three different types of people to write your letters mm-hmm. of recommendation, right? You know, you're usually a veterinarian. Um, usually a a professor or someone who knows you in that capacity or an advisor, for example, at your school. Um, Well, let's move on to uh, one of the next components, which is the required veterinary and animal-related experiences. Can you speak a little bit about what your animal-related experience were like? So I think I touched on a little bit before how you want to get varied experiences uh, so that you can put that kind of on your resume, on your application. So when you're looking for experiences, don't just look at what's easy and what is comfortable for you. So most of us are very familiar with dogs and cats. It's very comfortable for us. And becoming, you know, a kennel attendant or a receptionist or a veterinary assistant in a small animal clinic is what's easy. And it's going to get you those hours. But try to do something outside of your comfort zone, something that you've never done before. Um, What I did personally, I worked at a small animal and exotics practice, uh, which was definitely outside of my comfort zone. I hate birds. Uh, They're very creepy, but I dealt with a lot of birds at that clinic. Um, I... Also, I I grew up uh, around horses and stuff, so that was uh, very familiar with me. I did do uh, some time at an equine practice as well, so um, that was one of my different experiences. Um, I did not do research, but I highly, highly, highly recommend if you can find uh, experience in research, definitely do it uh, because the application teams love to see that on your 
uh, on your application. Um, and one thing that I realized I never, I did not know before I sat for my interview at Mizzou, but they love to see it when you volunteer. So if you, even if it's nothing to do with vet med, if you volunteered somewhere, even back in high school, they asked me about uh, when I volunteered for the Special Olympics in high school. I volunteered all four years of high school, um, and they love to see that. And they asked me a bunch of questions about it, and I was like, this is so out of the blue. I never realized that they would home in on that. But uh, if you volunteer or you did anything um, that might be remotely unique and something that is that makes your application stand out, put that on your application, even if you think that it has nothing to do with vet med. Caitlin, and you? I agree pretty much with everything that Steph said. Um, I took a similar approach with my experience as well. I will say, I think I touched on it earlier as well, but you want to get experience that's also shows your depth. So somewhere that you've been for like a year or two so that you can show the committee that you know what a veterinarian does day to day. Because if you just go to a place and you show up like once every week, you're not really showing them that you know what a veterinarian does on a day to day basis. Um, so, for example, I worked at a small animal clinic uh, for like three years um, so like Steph said, that's the easy way, but it also shows that you've had like that length of experience. And then similar to her, I did a large animal, um, externship, which I did not work with horses or large animals at all before undergrad. So that was out of my comfort zone. And then some schools actually look for large animal experiences, like a lot of the Southern schools. So if you're interested in those schools, make sure you have large animal experience. And then like if you have the opportunity to do a unique experience, like I went to Nicaragua for a week actually with Dr. Carrero and we did some community work there that just helped your application stand out. So if you do have the opportunity, you can look into those things as well. Definitely. Great. Thank you both. And I, I agree. I think volunteerism speaks a lot to the type of person that you are. And that's really what the committee is trying to figure out. It's like, what kind of person are you? Who are you? And so that and many other things, including the next topic I want to talk about, which is writing your personal essay, which tends to be what most applicants and a lot of students get a little nervous about is, you know, how do you write an essay that really conveys who you are to the committee? Was there a particular area of the of the application for you guys that it was tough for you to, to get through? Was it the personal essay? Was it something else? Or did you not have trouble with the personal essay? I think they started this a few years before I applied, but they try to break the personal essay down into three smaller essays. Uh, so it's less daunting. Um, for me, at least, I'm a pretty good writer, but I need to be in my own zone when I write an essay. So I'm not going to sit down at any time and just be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to bang this essay out. I have to be in the writing zone before I can even touch an essay. So know yourself, know how you are are as a writer, know how you kind of compile your thoughts um, and before you even try to touch those essays. Read the prompt weeks before you even write it because it gives you time to think. It gives you time to kind of reflect, you jot your ideas down um, and then go and sit down when, in a time that you're comfortable, in a time that you're in the right headspace um, before you even write that essay. Because if you if you try to 
do it at the last minute. That's not a good idea either. But if you try to do it quickly, um, if you if you try to do it, you know, without really thinking about it, it's going to come off as insincere and it's going to show that it's not your best work. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, and you're right. Over the last, I think, at least three application cycles, VMCAS, instead of having one personal essay, they've broken it down to three with 2,000 character limits, mm-hmm. which I think that's what people sometimes people struggle with is like, how do you convey who you are within that 2000 um, character limit? And they ask, you know, things like, what are your future career goals and why? And mm-hmm. what ways do veterinarians contribute to society? Yes. And what attributes do you have to be a, a successful veterinarian? So those are the type of questions that are being broken down within these three essays. Um, Caitlin, can you speak to how you approached uh, writing these essays? Okay, so this is a topic that I'm kind of passionate about within the application. Um, I approached it like Steph, sort of. Um, once I once the application was open, I read those prompts like right away. And then I would just keep like a journal with me or I would wake up in the middle of the night with this like idea or this like memory that would come to mind and I'd like write it in my notes on my phone. And then the next day when I would go to write, I like was inspired to write about it. And then another super important tip I would say is notice that it says character count, not word count, because a few people, a few people actually asked me to like review their essays and they were like three pages long for the one essay prompt. And this happened to a few people. Like, so I would highly suggest to make sure you know that you're writing character count and not word count. And then one of my other recommendations would be to get feedback from multiple people. So I would have like my family read it just so they understood it. Like at a general level, I would have um, like a veterinarian or someone in the field read it. And then like, I also had like an English professor read it to just look over like grammar mistakes and stuff like that. But one in one of my essays, a veterinarian read it and she read the essay and said, I know what you're trying to write and I understand where you're coming from, but it's coming off as it's not coming off well on how I wrote it. So just getting that perspective is really good. Um, And then another tip I would say for writing the essays is try to pick like a specific instance or a specific like event to write about because it makes it easier to like elaborate on that one thing rather than trying to write about multiple things because then you can go more into it rather than writing just small like little blurbs on each specific experience if that makes sense (laughs) yeah absolutely that's some great advice i think uh, a lot of our listeners will be taking notes on how to approach the essay (laughs) thank you thank you both very much for helping to break down the VMCAS application process. Any last tips and advice on the application process? Um, I would say that it's easy to c- become very overwhelmed. Like you're second guessing yourself, imposter syndrome. Like, am I really cut out to do this? Um, and what helped with that, I would say just like taking a breath, feeling, be confident in what you've done and be comfortable with all your accomplish- accomplishments that you've done so far. And then what helped with me is kind of coming to terms with, well, if I don't get in on the first try, I can try again. I can take a gap year, learn from my experience, just get even more experience. Um, and then especially 
asking for help, ask questions, talk to people that have applied before, talk to your professors, talk to veterinarians. Those are my last tips, I would say. Yeah, I completely agree with those. Um, and uh, the same, similar to what you said as well. If you get overwhelmed, that application uh, program is going to be there until the deadline. So don't feel weird about just logging off. Like if you are, if you've just done, been doing it for two hours already, log off, just stop because your your mind is already somewhere else. I would say if you can, try and do it in short bursts. Try to do like a half an hour one day, wait several days, do another half an hour, wait wait a week, wait two weeks. If you start early, you have plenty of time. I don't know if the deadline is still in September, um, but I submitted mine a month early just so that they could uh, review it and see if there was any mistakes that I needed to correct. Um, but if this the deadline's in September, you have all summer. And if you're doing nothing but working or volunteering, uh, you you can do that when you get home one night while you're watching TV, especially the about you section. That stuff's really easy. It just takes a lot of time. So um, for sure, if you feel overwhelmed, take a break and you're it's going to be saved. It's going to be there tomorrow when you log back in. So don't worry about that at all. Great. Awesome feedback. So you've applied. You hit, you finally hit September, mid-September usually is when the application is due. You finally hit submit and there's nothing you can do about it now, right? <laughs> now you're just anxiously waiting for the next step, which um, for a lot of schools, the next step, you might hear from them for an interview. So can we spend just a few minutes talking about the interview process? Did, um, did both of you interview at University of Missouri? Yes. I'm saying yes from Stephanie, yes from Caitlin. Okay, great. And did you... Do you mind if I ask, did you interview at other other schools? I did not. Caitlin did not. Mm-hmm. And Stephanie? I actually did. Um, so Mizzou is unique. Well, not I mean, they're unique in a lot of ways. But Mizzou actually sends out their uh, interview invitations very early. So I think we got them in like early December, which is a lot earlier than most other schools. So I already knew that I was interviewing at Mizzou. And I went like a month later. So it was very quick. Um, for my other schools, I kept my interviews just be, just in case. Um, and I was still interested in going to the other schools that I applied to. So I kept my interviews. I, I interviewed at two other schools. And they were a lot different than Mizzou. But um, they were in later January. I think both of them were in later January. Um, and then once I got my acceptance letter, I canceled my other interview that I had scheduled. Stephanie, can you share a little bit about your, what can you share about your interview process? Yeah, so uh, I'll share a little bit about the other schools that I applied to, and then we can get to Mizzou because Kate is Kate, uh, also interviewed there. Um, <laughs> but it really depends on where you apply because all the different schools have their own processes for the interview. Um, so one of the schools that I interviewed at was, uh, two people in the room with me and it was kind of like a discussion. The other school that I applied to, it was also two people in the room with me, but it was basically like rapid fire questions. And a lot of it was clarifying my application, which I thought was strange because all the information in the application, you should already know about me. And which is another thing that I liked about Mizzou is more discussion based and, um, 
It was things that were not on my application at all. Like Dr. Kuro mentioned earlier, it was more about getting to know me as a person, um, which I thought that, you know, the other schools that I applied to were kind of lacking in. Um, But overall, I think that when the interview process is more of a discussion, uh, it's definitely less daunting than when two people are sitting there with notepads and they're like, okay, this question, go. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I I don't know. How do I answer that? Uh, But when it's more of like, oh, how do you feel about this subject? Or um, where do you see yourself into like, oh my gosh, 10 years from now questions, they're going to happen at every interview, prepare yourself for it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But try to keep an open mind and try to glean as much information as possible before you get to the school. Because kind of knowing how the interview process is set up is going to be beneficial so that you're not just thrown in and and you don't know exactly what to expect. Did each school uh, offer you some clues on on what the interview process was going to be like? I think they ahead each of time? said, yeah, I think they each kind of said, you know, it will be you in a room with two people or whatever. I'm not sure if Mizzou said that, but I think they, I think they did. They told you that it was more of a group discussion because at Mizzou, it's like there's six people in the room with you. So it's a little more overwhelming, but it's definitely more of a discussion than like rapid fire questions. Uh, and Caitlin, what can you share about your interview experience? Um, so I the interview is very daunting and scary to me. Um, so I like when things are super intimidating, I like to prepare as much as possible for it. That helps me. Um, so I actually found this really helpful website. It's called the student doctor network. Um, you can log on there, type in what school you're interviewing with. And then there's a tab that says interview feedback. And it will tell you, like, it tells you like general information about the school, but then there's also like students who applied there or interviewed there check off, like, was the how long was the interview? What types of questions did they ask? And then there's also a section for students to type in example questions that they were asked. So I went in and printed out some of the example questions and tried to come up with answers to them um, and like kind of practiced with my family. And that helped me just get comfortable with answering questions. And yeah. I'd also like to uh, point something out, too, that's related to what Kate said um, in regards to preparing and being very overwhelmed with uh, kind of the interview process. Take a public speaking course in undergrad, because if you're uncomfortable speaking in front of people, it will definitely help you. I mean, it's pretty much like you're just you're thrown in and they're like, give a speech on this. And you're like, oh my gosh. But it will help you become much more confident, especially in a setting where everyone is looking at you. Um, And not only just for the interview process, but life as a veterinarian, because the public is going to be seeing you every day and asking you questions. And you need to know how best to conduct yourself in a situation like that, how best to format your answers so that they fit with who you're speaking to. So I think that taking a public speaking course or something similar to a public speaking course is definitely beneficial, not only for the interview process, but for vet school, like clinics and life as a veterinarian in general. Great advice. Um, Thank you both for that. 
So my next question is, um, did you visit the school? Did you visit University of Missouri before accepting? Yes. Uh, I visited for my interview. Yeah. Well, I will say, though, that um, if you go to a school where they have an interview, but they don't have like an interview weekend type of thing. So Mizzou has an entire weekend where they do the interviews and they have tours and they have lunch where they have a whole student panel and, you know, question and answer with the deans and stuff like that. If the school that you're applying to doesn't have that um, on your interview weekend, go back or request that you can do that right around the time. So you're not flying out twice or whatever, but Try to get that in because simply interviewing at a school isn't going to tell you everything that there is to know about the school. Talking to a small group of people isn't going to tell you everything there is to know about the school. You have to visit on either a normal day or on a on a day or a weekend where they have it kind of set up for everyone to experience it. You have to get a feel for what the community is like not only in the school, but in the town and basically how people talk to each other, how people treat each other, what the, is there a family atmosphere? That was another thing that I loved about Mizzou is that there's a family atmosphere. Everybody helps each other. Um, and ev- like the student ambassador program is great. Uh, we give tours and we're allowed to go into the hospital and give the general public, not the general public, but people who are looking about looking to see if they want to interview here or go here. Uh, we can show them everything that they're everything that they want to see. We can show them, and I think that that's something really important. If you're considering a school, do they let you in the clinic? Do they let you see the buildings? Do they let you talk to professors and to clinicians? Does the dean talk to you? You know, are they open and are they accepting? Um, those are some really important things that you're going to want to ask yourself um, because you want to know if you're going to be comfortable there for the next four years and possibly for longer um, if you choose to do a residency program or if you choose to work in that town. um, You want to feel comfortable where you're going to be living and where you're going to be learning. That is really super insightful. I got to say, I really I am really enjoying your both of your perspectives uh, because it's been a while since I've been in your shoes. So it's it's really great to hear. Uh, let's transition to the to today and the present. You're both in vet school, Caitlin, your second year, Stephanie, your third year. Uh, how do you balance your time? How do you balance your personal time with school time? Okay, so well, Mizzou, our program is two years of uh, didactics and two years of clinics. So our program is actually accelerated. Um, so that's something to keep in mind if you're applying to schools. But I would say it definitely takes time to find balance. At least it did for me. My first, probably my first year, I didn't balance my social life. I would go to school till like 5 p.m., give myself an hour when I came home and would study till like midnight every night. And that lasted quite a while because I was still excited about all the newness and just excited about everything. And then the second year that changed, I became more aware of like my mental health and just something I used to love doing in undergrad was working out. And I wasn't really doing that a lot my first year. um, And it did take a toll on me. So second year, I would specifically set a time 
time for myself and made sure I did that. Um, and I would say it's definitely helped mentally. It's helping me getting through classes easier because I am having that outlet. So yeah, I don't know. I don't really have advice on how to find balance. I think it's something you kind of learn. I don't know how to I agree with that. You have to kind of learn it as you go. And I want to say my experience with finding the balance is completely the opposite of Kate's. So in the beginning of vet school, uh, I didn't study really at all. Um, so I kind of touched on this before. For a lot of vet students, um, we have always been good students. We have always been good at school um, and good at, you know, just test taking and stuff. Again, this doesn't apply to everybody, but I kind of see this with a lot of my classmates. And so in undergrad, you know, many subjects came easy to us and it was easy to study the night before and do well on the exam. And I thought that it was going to be that way in vet school too. So I was like, I'm not going to study. I'm only going to study the night before. Well, my first exam, I got a C and I was like, oh no, what did I do wrong? <laughs> and so it definitely took me several weeks to figure out what worked for me uh, study wise and time management wise. I'm also kind of terrible at time management. And then as time went on, um, more so into the end of my first year, beginning of my second year, I realized that well, okay, I realized this way earlier on that grades don't matter. But um, you, if you're not happy, then why are you doing what you're doing? So studying a ton does not make me happy. It makes me miserable, especially when I see my family having fun. So this is another way that Kate and I are different. Um, I have what I call a family. It's my husband and my five pets. And when I see my husband playing with my dogs while I'm studying, that makes me sad. So I don't want to study when that happens. When my husband comes home from work, I want to help him cook dinner. And I want to talk to him about his day and my day. And I want to play with my dogs. So I'm not going to study until 11 o'clock at night because I want to be spending time with my family. So prioritizing, you know, your mental health is 100% key to success in vet school not not key for grades, but key for your well-being. Prioritizing what works for you, what you value. Spending time with my family and relaxing is key for me. So I spend a lot of time doing that. And I really don't care. I allow myself one C per block. So uh, this was, I discovered this after, I think... I think my second semester of vet school, I realized that I'm going to get C's and I'm so why not embrace it? Try, but don't be disappointed if you get a C or if you quote fail, because you're not you're not going to fail. You're just not doing as well as you would like. So I think that really helped my mental health, too, because I if I tried as hard as I felt comfortable trying, and I still got to see, then I got to see, and that's what I deserved. Um, and I think that that's something that a lot of FET students have trouble coming to terms with is the grading aspect of, of school. But I think that's something that's super important that I always like to tell people that are prospective FET students, like you, 
you are not going to get straight A's and you have to be okay with that. And it's going to be uncomfortable at first, but there are things that are more important than A's for sure. Yeah, no, I really appreciate both of you and your candidness um, about this subject because it is, you, you do kind of have to shift your mindset. And like you both mentioned, having having whatever works for you and having that balance and that schedule and those prioritizations are really going to help you with your mental health. Um, because if you're not there mentally, you're going to be miserable for four years and you don't want that. You know, you're going to burn out. You don't want to burn out. So mm-hmm. I really appreciate you being candid about this. And Steph, you mentioned uh, grading systems. I wasn't going to bring it up, but we can touch on it um, a little bit because I know at Colorado State, when I was there, they really wanted to decrease that competitiveness that vet students have when we first come in to get the straight A's, right? And so they actually changed it to a pass-fail system, which I don't know if it's still there. Did it help? I would say maybe a little, not that much, because they still kept track of your class rank. And so people were just competing for class rank. (laughs) Uh, But I think what Stephanie's point was, is that when she said that grades don't really matter, it, it just means that, you know, just balance it out. Uh, because at the end of the day, you're going to graduate with your DVM and, and you're going to be a, a veterinarian, right? Whether you have straight A's or, or not. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned the competitiveness and that stuff does not fly in vet school. If you're competitive, your classmates really are not going to appreciate that because we are all going to end up on that stage in four years. So what do they call the last person in the class? DVM, right? So you. <laughs> You and the number one in the class are going to be at the same level when you graduate. So don't stress about it. Don't waste your energy on it. Just let it go. Just roll with it. It gets so much easier later on, especially after you hit clinics. It gets a lot easier. And that competitiveness competitiveness evaporates, truly. Yeah, I think those are good points. And that's something that took me a little longer to learn. And I wish I would have learned it sooner and had the advice sooner. So I do appreciate you saying that to them, too. Great. Um, before we finish this um, this episode, uh, first of all, I, I think it's amazing that both of you decided to apply to the Master's in Public Health program. What is the Master's of Public Health program and maybe why you decided to to apply for it? So I've been in the MPH program now for two years, coming up on two years. Um The Master of Public Health program is essentially, it's called a dual degree program. So you're getting it uh, at the same time as your DVM. Um, And a lot of the courses are actually shared with the veterinary program. So like one of our admissions counselors likes to say, buy one degree, get one 50% off or 75% off kind of. So I personally chose the MPH program because it's, uh, I plan on going into large animal medicine and I think that that will help open up some more, uh, career opportunities for me. And also public health is super important. It's a huge part of veterinary medicine, which people don't often realize. Essentially the MPH program is a lot of online courses. There's a lot of essay writing statistics is in there, which is not fun. Um, and there's a externship that you have to do as well. Um, so kind of finding time to fit it into your, your DVM schedule is a little challenging for sure. When I started it, I started out just taking one extra class a semester and I knew that I could do that because I started it after my first year was over. So if you're thinking about doing it, you're definitely going to have to take stock of 
can I handle vet school as it is now? And can I handle one extra course? Um, and for some people, you know, that's just not possible. And I totally get that. Some semesters I've skipped um, taking an extra course just because I knew that the course load was going to be rough. And especially at Mizzou, like Kate touched on earlier, we do have an accelerated program. Um, it's two and two. So all of our classes are kind of condensed into shortened semesters that we call them IPs or blocks. So they're eight weeks. And so taking a full course load in eight weeks uh, is sometimes really challenging. And sometimes you just can't fit that extra course in. But with the MPH program, you can make your own schedule. So it's uh, it's not easy, but it's it's good to know what you can handle and you can create your own schedule. So and you can drop out of any classes at any time. So pretty much so you don't have to worry about I started this and I have to finish it. If you figure out that you can't achieve the MPH at the same time as the DVM, you can take an extra semester, you can take an extra year. So there's really no pressure, honestly, with the MPH. You can take it as long take as long as you need. Thank you, Stephanie. And I should also say that many veterinary programs offer dual degree programs, as Stephanie mentioned, mm-hmm. not only MPH, that seems to be a pretty popular one, but also there are DVMs, MBA uh, combined programs and DVM PhD combined programs, depending on mm-hmm. the interests and career goals of the students. Uh, Caitlin, how about you? Uh, what was your uh, deciding factor in applying for the MPH program? Um, so the trip that I did to Nicaragua um, really opened my eyes to community medicine, like low cost medicine. Um, I'm interested in shelter medicine as well. I would like to do international work and even national work to open or to make veterinary care more available to underserved areas. So I knew public uh, having a public health degree would help with even just traveling internationally. And then also in shelter medicine, you're working a lot within the community as well. Um, so I think it will help me in those interests that I have. And then it's also just good to know about public health in general. So Great. So Caitlin, it sounds like for your future plans, what does that look like as far as in practice? You mentioned shelter medicine, you mentioned community practice. So I think for clinics, I'm going to do an externship at a shelter because I've had shelter medicine experience as a volunteer, but the shelter that I volunteered at was very, very tiny. So I never really got to talk to the veterinarian that worked there. So I'd like to do some externship experience at like a very high, fast-paced clinic, uh, not clinic, uh, shelter to see how I like it um, and possibly do that. But I would also like to go into private practice and potentially own a practice and be able to implement community work like I was talking about before. Awesome. And Stephanie, how about your future plans? You mentioned more gearing towards the large animal side. Yeah. um, I just know that uh, small animal is not really for me. Uh, I don't really care for the uh, setting and kind of the you're sitting in the same building day in and day out, kind of uh, doing vaccines and PEs every day with the same people. I That's kind of just not really my thing. For some people, that provides a lot of structure and a lot of regularity, and that's great for some people, but it's just not for me. I really like the aspect of large animal where you're on the road. You kind of get to make your own schedule, and you're, you're traveling to you know different farms and such. I like that aspect of large animal a lot, um, and I hope to 
uh, work in a rural area, kind of looking at Texas right now. I have a externship scheduled there for the end of January. So uh, we'll see how I like Texas. And possibly once I've spent several years in practice, I uh, they say that you get burnt out really fast in large animal, but you know maybe ten years down the road, uh, government work, which will also be made possible with having an MPH. Um, so doing FSIS, uh, working for the USDA or something like that, is also a possibility. Great, and like we mentioned in our previous episode, what one of the things I really love about the veterinary profession is all the opportunities. And just talking to you both, you can see how wide those opportunities are. And now I'm teaching, so maybe. Maybe someday one of you will be teaching too. Who knows? Well, thank you both very much. This has been such an insightful uh, talk. I appreciate your time, taking the time out of your busy veterinary school schedules. My guests have been future doctors, Stephanie George and Caitlin Contenoir. Thank you both very much for joining me today. Thank Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Academic Veterinarian Podcast. You can find all the resources and links discussed on today's program in the episode's show notes. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast, and we'd love to hear from you, so send us your comments, questions, or suggestions for future episodes to theacademicvet at gmail.com. Bye.